0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning. Morning. How's everybody? What was that? Somebody caught somebody in transition. Are you good? All right, good. It's heavy on this side. I feel like Look, I'm gonna still give y'all enough on this side, Beth. It's okay. Beth, maybe in 22 it'll be your year of friends, and you'll have more people over here around you. Right? No. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Beth's a close friend. She knows. Um, she makes fun of me worse than I make fun of her. See, she's saying we're not even close friends, but well, we've known each other for a long time. How about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can go with that. All right. Well, it's really good to see everybody on both sides this morning. Um, so if you have your Bible. We're going to be in first Thessalonians, the last verses of chapter four, verses 13 through 18, and we're going to go through first Thessalonians 4 verse 13 through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. So first Thessalonians 4 verse 13 through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 and, and this will wrap up our Advent series or season. If you remember, we began a couple of weeks back with um, a message titled, The Origin of Hope. And, and what we saw there was that there was actually a time in human history where there was no need for hope. And we saw when hope originated in Genesis chapter 3 um, through the fall of man. And then actual hope was given shortly thereafter as God promised to crush the head of the serpent. Ultimately and finally, and He's done that through Jesus Christ. Last week, Brad, Jessen um, dealt with uh, the first couple of verses in Luke chapter two, and and dealt with um, a, a sermon titled the, "The Promise Fulfilled." And we looked at Anna and Simeon and their response to the Messiah being born. Well, this morning, um, we're still going to obviously be focusing on on, on Advent, however the specific focus is going to be how we live while we wait. And, and it's been well documented over the last few weeks by myself, by Brad, and even by Jared before in that last section of 2 Peter, uh, that, that we just don't wait well. Generally, as human beings, we don't have a lot of patience. And when we wait, it pushes our patience. Waiting can cause us to be in a, almost a constant state of anxiety at times um, and, and one of the hardest parts about waiting is sort of knowing what to do in the meantime. Like, what do we do while we wait? And, and if you have kids, then you know exactly uh, like what that's like to go on a, on a road trip. And the kids get literally—we left last Sunday afternoon, and we didn't make it to Mercedes— headed to North Georgia and Cal says are we there yet we've been on the road 10 minutes and then about 20 minutes later are we there and, and, and so kid like so if you have kids you understand that, that we get bored we get anxious we get frustrated and and, and it has all to do like, like with what we do in the meantime we know we're headed to a destination but we're not there yet so what do we do while we wait and I just want to just kind of jump up on a soapbox for a second and say for any of you that were born after after 2002ish you have no idea what it's like to wait on a road trip no no clue what it's like not to have a device no clue what it's like for your mom and dad to have complete sovereignty over the radio no no clue what it's like to have to breathe mobber smoke and look out the window and count road signs because you don't have an iPad, like so, so, so I don't have a whole lot of patience for you guys that have devices and can listen to what you want to listen to, and even have your cute little TV screen in the back of Mama and Daddy's seat, so you can watch your movie, you can play your video games. There was a time when we actually had to wait, and, and it hurt to wait, right? Y'all know what I mean, like, like we, yeah. So, waiting is. Is difficult, what do we do in in the meantime, and, and so before you answer that it's, it's a, a, as you think about waiting the second advent of Jesus because we are in a season of waiting we 're waiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. What do we do in the meantime, and so as you ponder that question, I want to ask this one as sort of a follow-up, or as you think about that. If if you knew that the Second Coming of Jesus Christ was going to be on December twenty-fifth, 2021, by the way, don't take this out of context, okay? Don't play that clip, or, Zach, don't get cute with that clip and say, Hank said December twenty-fifth, 2021. That's not what I'm doing, but let's pretend. Like as you think about what we do while we wait for the Second Coming of Christ, Uh, I I didn't, I mean, I kind of knew how to answer that, like with the Sunday school answer, but then I had the thought well, what if I knew he was coming back on December 25th, 2021? Like he's coming back Saturday. What would I do? How would I live? How would we wait if we actually knew the day? Well, we don't know the day. We won't know the day until it comes. And there have been many goons exposed by trying to predict the day of the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us the day, even though that question is asked multiple times. What what day, Lord, will your, will your kingdom come? And it's never answered in the way that those that are asking it want it to be answered, but it is answered clearly. And, and so, what we'll see in First Thessalonians 4, the, the last part of 4 and 5, is what I believe is some very exciting truth that can help us understand what it means to wait, and, and, and what we do as Christians in the meantime while we wait. But before we dive into that, I want to give you a fancy word, and I, I'm really not trying to impress you, I promise, but it's a word that you, you probably need to know if you don't know, um, and if you know of it, then maybe it would help you to know a little bit more about it, but, but there is a fancy word for the study of the last things, and it's this word, eschatology. And if you haven't heard that word, that's what it means. It means to study the end or what's going to happen in the end. The problem with eschatology is there are often extremes. There are people that I like to think of as like They're obsessed with the end. They're obsessed with the events that are leading up to it. They, they they are they think everything, literally everything, like down to their a college football team losing could mean that Christ is going to return soon. So you got eschomaniacs you also uh, you also have those who have eschophobia who are terrified of the end. And and it actually frightens them and causes great anxiety. And then you have those like to think of as the Esca who cares bunch. They really just don't care. Now there are certainly others, but I think those are the three extremes, and those are extremes. We don't need to be maniacs, we don't need to be fearful, and we need to care. The Bible teaches us about the end, but not for the purpose of us knowing and understanding every detail. Every time we see it taught in Scripture, as it relates to eschatology or the end, it has to do and is meant to produce a certain kind of living. It's not to know details. I mean, if it was about knowing details, then we would have all the details. It's not about knowing the details. It's always meant to function in our lives because it assures us that God's purposes will prevail and that should motivate us to live faithfully until they do. All right, so I'm going to read to you from... First Thessalonians four thirteen through five eleven, then we'll get started with the scripture. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a great privilege it is to gather this morning. Um, Lord, this this section of, of, of your word is, is heavy. Um, I really wrestled, as you know, and I confess to my brothers and sisters this morning with, with the heaviness and as it relates to Advent and the week before Christmas and and I was just, just so graciously reminded by you Lord that, that the whole meaning of Christmas is heavy like it's heavy we need to be saved from our sin and you have made a way for that to happen and so Father we praise you and God the Son we praise you for your perfect obedience we praise you for walking the steps that we could not walk in obedience all the way to death we praise you that you were buried we praise you that you resurrected we praise you that you ascended and right now today lord i I pray that you create in us a genuine authentic lasting longing for your return on that climatic moment when we will finally be saved. The intent of this passage is to do that, is to motivate us to live in light of what we know will happen because you've said it will. And so, Lord, do what only you can do in our hearts. My ability to teach and speak has no power. It has no power outside of... Your Spirit moving and working and Your Word being proclaimed. And so, Father, we ask that You glorify Your name, glorify Yourself this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So, so a little context. Paul is writing to a church that that he planted, all right, that, that he had to depart from pretty quickly. And so he's received some info from his younger protege Timothy and it has been really positive about the Thessalonians for the most part Timothy gives him an update, a, a positive, a good update in regards to their sanctification. I think at some point as a church, if the Lord wills, we will go through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And I look forward to that day because it is. It's one of the more positive letters. Like, I mean, if you read First and 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, those, you're like, holy smokes, those people are jacked up. Well, the, the Thessalonians, they certainly had their issues. But in this season, as Timothy observes them, the sanctification has been positive. And in the right direction, but there seems to be one little issue, and it's this issue around the second coming of Jesus. And so Paul writes to encourage them in their sanctification, but he also writes to address some misunderstandings about this phrase that's used many times in the Old Testament and New Testament, the day of the Lord. And so from this text, now there are many different rabbit trails we could go down, and again, Lord willing, when we get to 1 Thessalonians, or 2nd, one day, then, then we'll chase those rabbits. We're not going to be able to chase them today. But there are three main things that I would like for us to see from this section as we relate it to this emphasis of Advent, and, and that we are still in a season of waiting the 2nd Advent, or coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And first I think we see the hope of our waiting is Jesus in verses 13 and 14. If you read those again with me. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Asleep there means those who have died, those who have passed on. That you may not grieve as others do, Who have no hope now? Now, now here is his appeal, verse fourteen: For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So so evidently, there was some misunderstanding around Christians who have died, and so it's, it's probably multiple things, but probably two things primarily that they were struggling with. One would be we thought Jesus was going to return before any of the believers died. So, so there was that, and so, so now that they believe and they've heard of His second coming, but now Christians have died in the meantime, and they're confused by that. Or the other confusing thing might be just to try to understand, like, what does it mean for those who have died before Jesus returns? And so, in verse 14, even in in the context of them, them not understanding specifically how to grieve, what are we supposed to think about our loved ones who have gone on? Paul appeals to the gospel. That's why he says in verse 14 what he does. For, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Paul sees the gospel as the foundation of their hope. And, and so as they think about the future, and, and again, like, like you feel their burden, that they are grieving, that they're sad because they've lost loved ones, they feel the weight of the world, and they've heard that their Savior is going to return, so what in the world is He waiting on? There's, I mean, literally, you can almost hear them say, hey, Jesus, there's people dying down here. Paul says, since we know that Jesus died and rose again, we have hope that guarantees their future. And and I love how he ties in the second coming to encourage them because notice what he says. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So here's what he's actually letting them know, that, that death, that is negative, like it has a sting. But, but as believers, we are growing towards this understanding that actually death doesn't have the sting, certainly not the sting that it would have if we didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And so there's this constant movement of the Christian heart of understanding death, and Paul lets them know, "Hey, look, you're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, and guess who's going to be with him?" Right, so don't miss that. Death is a door. Death isn't the end for believers. It's essentially—I mean, you could even argue that it's the beginning that for believers whenever we leave this body we are present with the Lord as Scripture teaches us and John 11 says plainly that Jesus himself says those who believe in me they don't even actually die. I suddenly say it this way. So for Christians who die they're more alive than they've ever been. And so he appeals to the hope that the gospel brings. So, so your loved ones who have died will still experience the promises of the gospel. And if they would go, well, why, Paul? How? His answer is simple. It's through Jesus. He died and he rose again. Therefore, we have hope. So second thing. First is the hope of our waiting is Jesus. So this, uh, look. So, all of this is still 100% true today. Alright, so as we wait and as we leave this season of Advent, we know that we're still in a season of waiting. All these things still have to be true. Right? In, in, in order for us to sustain and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, we have to keep these things in mind. The hope of our waiting is Jesus. Secondly, the focus of our waiting is the return of Jesus. Friends, It's important for us to understand that the second coming of Christ isn't some add-on event. It's not secondary. It is the climatic moment of redemptive history. I want to go on and read verse 15. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and again i talk an awful lot about tone i'm trying to get better at articulating and in, in teaching and preaching what the tone could possibly be but this don't like this is building there's excitement in these words there's hope there's confidence for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now listen, again, the dead they're worried about and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so after affirming what he does in verse 14, that there, and 15 and 16, that there will be a resurrection, he pinpoints it in a particular time. And in verse 15 and 16, he lets us know that it's, it's at the second coming of Christ. And notice that Christ himself will descend, that the dead in Christ... Will rise first. Now, again, they're trying to figure out how to grieve. They don't understand why they've lost loved ones if Jesus is still reigning. And if He is reigning, then why in the world hasn't He come back to sort of save the day yet? So they're thinking that it's possible that their loved ones have been excluded from the promise or forgotten. But Paul makes it clear no, no, no. They're going to be with Him in the air. In fact, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so the cry of command will summon those bodies in the graves. And to be clear, that's what we're talking about. The dead, physical, decayed bodies of those who have gone on in the Lord will resurrect. They will be redeemed and reunited with their soul in a glorified state, the state that Jesus Christ himself resurrected and came out of the tomb in. And so you see the power of this cry and this command that it summons decayed dead bodies in the graves to be reunited with their spirits in this glorified state. And and so in answering their question about the loved ones that have passed on, he redirects them to the main event. Again, that's why I say the focus of our waiting is the return of Christ. So these believers are in a season of grieving and sadness and frustration. And where does he focus them? on the return of Jesus as their hope. We just don't tend to think this way, specifically about the last days. We tend to think about seasons, about times, looking for certain events. But it seems to me in the first century, the encouragement was not to look for seasons or times because you're not going to know them. The cry of the first century, the cry of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit is not to look for times and events, it's to look for a person. Look for Christ. Long for Jesus. Don't focus so much on the when and the how of the last days and understand that the Bible consistently steers us not to the when or the how but to the who. The early church wasn't looking for certain events, they were looking for the arrival of of Christ Himself. Not, not the last things, but the last one. And when the last one arrived, here's the truth. The order of events, I hate to frustrate you, they're not going to matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we don't study, it doesn't mean we don't try to understand, but we don't want to fall victim to the eschamania, or the eschophobia or the Eska who cares. The whole point of it in Scripture is to point us to a person, and that's Jesus, who is coming. Now, so, so, so this is the center focus of what we wait on is the return of Christ, and it's still true today. But I want to tell you two things about this return that I think are important that we see here. First is that the return of Jesus Christ will be personal And it will be public, personal. This is short and easy and sweet. Verse 16, for the Lord himself, I mean, how much more clear? He's not sending an angel. He's not sending some little helpers or, I mean, just to stick to the Christmas season. Um, For those of you that have a little illness about elves, he's not sending elves. Christ himself is coming back. It'll be personal. But it will also be public. And friends, if you haven't listened yet, listen here. And I pray that your faith is strengthened because the truth of this second coming of Jesus being personal and public, it means that our faith that has been and currently is being scoffed and ridiculed will be publicly vindicated on that day. On this day, there will be no shaking of fist at the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no mocking Jesus. There will be no question or wondering about who this is. It's not going to be complicated. When he returns, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord it will be triumphant. And friends, there's a profound difference in His first coming and His second coming. In in His first Advent, which is what we pause to celebrate this time of the year, in, in, in His first Advent, He came in humility, He came in obscurity, He came in suffering. The Son of God came in poverty. But in His second coming, He will come... exaltation. It will be characterized by glory and triumph and there will be a universal disclosure of Christ's glory and Christ's majesty. He who came first as a lamb, write it down. He's coming back as a lion. There will be no question that day who he is and there will be no opportunity for anybody to mock the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is exactly what is anticipated in our text today. The main thing we need to understand and know that will motivate us to a certain kind of living as we move towards this day. Because listen friends, history is barreling and has been barreling towards this day since the beginning. We're on a fast track to this particular day when Jesus Christ returns in every single human will acknowledge Him as Lord. Next we see the result of our waiting is fellowship with Jesus or judgment from Jesus. Now Brad and I had a conversation this week because when I dealt with the origin of hope I was like, man, it's got a lot of weight. There's a lot of sin talk. There's a lot of repentance. But you know what? Like, Like that's the that's the gist of the story. And so there's this temptation as a pastor to go, hey, it's the Christmas season. Everything's supposed to be like clicking heels and high-fiving. And like Zach had the snow feel going like during the music, which kind of wigs me out a little bit. When we're in a pandemic, I'm like, is that COVID floating around? I mean, I'm, I have PTSD. So I'm thinking like, whoa, is that, is that what the virus does? It's not. I, it, maybe it is. But here's the deal. Brad, last week, I called Brad and said, Hey, man, how's it going? He's like, Look, it's good. And I love this section, but like it just has this part in it that kind of feels in, in Brad way, if you know Brad. He's like, Debbie Downer. <laughs> like, it just feels Debbie Downer. I'm like, Hey, look, I felt it last week. And then we just reminded one another hey, this is the story, this is reality. And so, what we deal with in the Bible is what's real and what's actually true. And so there is this result of our waiting for those who have trusted Christ that means fellowship with Jesus, but it also means judgment from Christ for those who have not. So let's first deal with waiting. The results of our waiting is fellowship with Jesus. There is this little power-packed, overlooked, beautiful phrase in verse 17. And if you underline or highlight or you want something to put, like for you to stare at and over and over and believe over and over and be reminded of over and over, it's this, it's in verse 17, the last part, so we will always be with the Lord. All of history is moving toward this moment. And if you're a Christian, this is the final state. This is the ultimate destination is that we will be always with the Lord. At the very beginning of Scripture, you see the trajectory for God's design. God has always, always, always had a heart to dwell with His people. Because of sin, that fellowship has been severed, it's been broken. But in this, we see God's resolve to dwell with His people forever, and this day will be it. I was reminded of John chapter 14, verse 3. Where Jesus is encouraging his disciples the night before he goes to be crucified. And he tells them, if I go to prepare a place for you, listen, friends, I I will come again, all right, and I will take you where? To myself, that where I am, you may be also. Listen, He knows, He knows what His disciples need. The the, the disciples don't need to look to a heaven where streets of gold are the highlight. They don't need to look to a heaven where it's this constant beach, resort, vacation, or whatever you would fill in the blank for what you think heaven would be, because none of that's heaven, none of that's heaven if Christ Himself isn't there and with us always. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. That he's there. And so he looks at his disciples who, they just don't want him to leave. They've left everything to follow this man. They believe he's the Messiah. They've been with him for three years. They left jobs, families, everything. And now he's told them that he's leaving and they want him. And he promises them, you're going to get me. And I'm making the way for you to actually get me. And so if you're a Christian, this is the future that awaits you. And these words are meant to infuse every day of our lives with hope and with joy and with expectation. Because it's not determined by what we go through here. It's not determined by the suffering that we experience here. It's not determined by the sin that we commit here. This is determined by the sovereign plan of God. And it will happen by His power. It's meant to give us hope that sin, suffering, sadness, pain, tears, heartaches, disease, virus, wheelchairs, crutches, insulin pumps. Like there's coming a day when all of those things will be sort of melted down to just these trophies of God's grace. And we'll see and understand that that suffering that we had it had it had purpose, and part of the purpose for us while we wait is to create a longing for this particular day when we see Jesus face to face. Because one day we're going to wake up, and it's going to be Christ. And this is meant to create a longing. I mean, friends, do you ever get do you ever get tired of bad news? I mean, aren't we all just a bit fatigued with it? I mean, I'm I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of hearing the, the doom and the gloom and the the next thing that's going to kill everybody. And I don't want to get another phone call or text message of. Hey, we need to meet. My marriage is crumbling. I got a wayward child. Like, I'm just, I'm fatigued. And I know we all are. Like, like we're fatigued by bad news. We get tired of it. But what this teaches us is there's coming a day when Christ returns that this will all be set right. It will be. And it means this, and I want you to hear this in the most tender way possible it means that our Father is going to fix it. And it's meant to create longing, but it's also meant to create an urgency. And I think the reason for the urgency is clear in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, because it it speaks of Christ's judgment. So so His second coming means that for those who believe, we get Him. Always. But it has a reality to it for those who who don't believe. And look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 5. Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Listen to verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, listen, there's a delusion. There is a, a complete delusion that they're blind to the reality. They feel like they actually have peace. They feel like they actually have Security, and then verse 3 makes it clear, and this is frightening. Like, Like this is just frightening. Then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And equally frightening is this last phrase, and they will not escape. It means it's too late. The season of grace will be over. The door of the ark shut. And so there will be people in that day that will be surprised, they'll be caught off guard. Verse 4 he says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's saying, look, hey, as believers, we're, we're looking to this day, we're looking to this day, we're looking to this day. And so even though he comes like a thief in the night, like we're prepared. We know he's coming. But there will be people who are surprised. Verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Verse 6, and he starts using some interesting analogy here. So, So then let us not sleep, that's one way, sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, and here's another way, and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And so this picture that he's painting, is that there will be people probably within the church that are asleep spiritually. They're spiritually intoxicated, meaning that they have consumed themselves and their minds with so many things other than the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus Himself is that they are, I mean for lack of a better way to say it, drunk on worldly things. They're not looking for the coming of Christ. They're consumed by the world. And so those that are functioning in that way, some within the church, some outside of the church, they have no real genuine concern for Jesus Christ. They have no genuine fear or reverence of His return. And so they just live today like it could be the last day they got, eat, drink, be happy, and move on. And so there's a warning There is an urgency for those of us who have believed and trusted Christ. There's a warning for us to say, hey, don't get drunk on the world. Don't be so fixated on things that are temporary. Keep them in their proper perspective. Keep your mind focused on Jesus and know that He's coming again because there are those around us who don't care. And the reality for them is is bleak. And so, friends, I want the second coming of Jesus to be a joy for you and not a terror. And if you haven't trusted Him today, it's going to be a terror. And it will be too late. Scripture's clear. Sudden destruction and you will not escape. That's not me manipulating That's not me trying to produce something in you. That's me reading to you the words of God that He has graciously given us to tell us where to fix our eyes and our gaze and our attention. And it's on Jesus. All right, quickly, I have six minutes. The purpose of this whole season of Advent, the purpose of this scripture, let me give you three, quickly. First is this, provide hope. The purpose of this scripture is to provide hope and motivation for our lives today. So so the Lord doesn't just give us information about the end just for the sake of giving us information about the end. His design is to spur us on towards the end. And, and, and so the teaching about the second coming or the end times, or again, remember our fancy word, eschatology, is always meant to fuel a certain kind of living. It's meant to function in our lives. It's never merely about events in the future. Our future hope fuels our present activities. Amen. And if our future hope is Jesus and we realize that history is barreling toward this day when Christ returns and on that day there will be sudden destruction and it, it's inescapable the judgment that will come to those who haven't believed, but the joy that it will mean for those who, who do believe, then like what person in their right mind doesn't set their focus and gaze towards Him? And so it's meant to produce that. No, not legalism, not you're trying to earn your way so you look a certain way when the day comes. No, knowing these things and the details that we do have is meant to produce a certain way of living. Second, this pur- the purpose of this scripture is to show us what to remind one another. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing this isn't optimism this isn't being annoyingly overly positive this is a deep-seated confidence in what we know will come to pass and an understanding that scripture doesn't pull part of the curtain back on the end to just appease our curiosity but to infuse hope into our lives Third, the purpose of this scripture is to exhort us to live consistently and to use the words of Paul, inspired by the Spirit, that we are to be awake and we are to be sober, meaning not distracted, vigilant, meaning we aren't just sort of chilling our way through we have an urgency. We're self-controlled. And you know what the world recognizes, especially the world in 2021 and going into 2022? The world recognizes, maybe more than ever, at least in our existence, people who have a stability. Where's that coming from? Why are you stable? This gives stability. If you know how backhoe works or a, a boom truck works, it has these outriggers that fold down. It gives it stability. This these are our outriggers. They've come down and that machine's not moving. Because it's being held together by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what he says is true and it happens and you can bank on it. Do you feel this stability? Or are you uneasy? Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you fatigued? Look, I'm not saying there's a quick fix. I wish there was a switch you could flip. There's not one. But what I can tell you is what the Bible says let's consistently fix our gaze on Him, let's trust that His promises are true. Let's believe with every fabric of our being that nothing that we experience here is going to change, is going to change what's going to happen on this day. And that if you're a believer, you will be with him forever. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.